Um, just excited again, just getting myself refocused here about the book of Ephesians. And um, I tell you, pastors get a little nervous. I'll just be, I'm being real with you here for a second. Pastors get a little nervous when they study a book, and uh, for a while that book talks about change, because I don't like to be told about change, you don't like to be told about change. So it makes pastors a little nervous knowing that possibly you maybe have had enough of Paul and his teachings on change. Well, we're going to come to an end here of, of chapter 4 today. And I understand. I understand the tension that exists, believe me, um, as I study uh, this chapter in this book from Ephesians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church. And God said, that's something that I want throughout history and into the future, churches to know and to study. As I look at this passage, I am challenged equally. I believe even more so than you are to change and to make uh, a, a real difference in your life. Um, because you and I have the same love-hate relationship when it comes to change. We love change in, in as much as we would love for our spouse to change. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, we love that part of change. If they would change, it would be wonderful. What about, you know, that friend that we have? If they would just change... Uh, wouldn't life be simpler? Wouldn't it be more enjoyable? I tell you what would be, really be great is if our boss would change. If, you know, they just came by you one day and said, I am so glad you are here working. It just made my day. You know, I just, I really, I know we only do reviews once a year, but I just feel like I should give you a raise right now. You know, I mean, wouldn't it be great if our boss would change? I mean, and of course, uh, employers, I get the, the joy of talking to some of them uh, employers are the same way. Wouldn't they love their employees to change? You know, uh, show up, you're, you're at work as an employer, and you look out there, and every employee has arrived on time. They are at their station, and they are healthy and ready to work. Incredible. Wouldn't it be great if employees would change, right? Uh, what about this? What if your employee's output was the same in their first hour as it is in their fourth or fifth hour when they're really peaking? I mean, they just gave you 100% the whole time. Em employers, I mean, that would be great. They love change. If only employees would change. Uh, kids, huh? Grandkids, children. Wouldn't it be great if they would change? And, of course, if I'm secretly talking to children, I would say, wouldn't it be great if mom and dad changed a little bit? Right? Like, we love that part, that idea of someone else changing. And you know, you know the love-hate relationship, love it when others change. We kind of hate it when someone suggests to us that we would change. I mean, that's the part we hate. And, and we have lots of defenses. I have defenses. Someone comes to me and says, hey, you might want to change this. I, I immediately have some things that I put up. First thing I usually do is I try to find something wrong with that person. What are you talking to me for? You, you know, you've got a problem over there. You need to change that before you can talk to me. Why are you judging me? You know, so immediately, it doesn't matter what they say. If they're suggesting to me that they change, I have this natural tendency, and I believe you do as well, but I certainly uh, have this tendency to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not doing that. And, and I'm gonna, I need a reason real quick why I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to blame you, the person coming to me with the suggestion of the change I think the other thing I tend to do is I grant exceptions. So I can say, 
well, I believe that people should do this. You know, maybe let's talk about Operation Christmas Child. I'll use that as an illustration. I think it's great for people to give gifts to those who are less fortunate than us. However, and this is what I do, given my circumstance, it probably isn't something I need to do. We grant ourselves exceptions. We, we, may, we say we're an exception to the rule. So you may say that I may change, but I need to change, and I might agree with that, but I would have to point out my circumstances that would exempt me from that change. So I look to attack maybe the person. You may look to attack the person suggesting to you that you make a change. Another thing you may do is you may give yourself an exception. Well, that's good for most people, but it's really not what I need to be doing, giving my circumstance. But sometimes, sometimes, we know we need to change. I know I need to change. And there's no getting around it. You know, I, I've, you know, I'm at the end of my excuses. I know that I need to make the change. And so my last defense is just to ignore it. You know, like, I don't think about it. Well, I don't really think about that area. I don't think about that change. I just kind of ignore that area because I have no more reasons, no way to justify me not changing. So I'm just going to ignore that topic completely. Lots of that. But you know what's interesting for you and for me is we still want the results. So we, we hesitate to make the change, but we want the results that come with the change. I will give you two illustrations that I think are safe, so none of you walk out on me, and uh, apply to almost all of us. We want the results of change. Every January, all right, all of us wish we would change the way we shop for Christmas. You with me? Right now, we start gearing up for Christmas, and don't, don't come to me after the service saying, well, I already have all my Christmas shopping done. You, you, you people are a little spiteful, okay? Don't do that. Just joking with you, all right? Now, but from now until Christmas, we love to shop, and there's part of us that goes, ah, I don't know if I need to spend that much, or I don't know if I need to buy this much, or I don't know if I need to pay that much for that. I think maybe I could get it cheaper, but we buy and then in January comes, and we look at bills, we look at checking account statements, we look at credit card statements, and we wish we would change the way we shop for Christmas. Every January, very true. Um, another maybe slightly mo more uncomfortable one is every time we go to the doctor. Any doctor, dentist, chiropractor, uh, general health, uh, cardiologist, whatever it is, we go to them, we wish we had changed something prior to arriving at that doctor. Because for some reason, we pay them a lot of money to tell us things we don't want to hear. But they're things we need to hear. And we know there are changes we need to make, but we don't make them. But we wish we did. See, all of us have this tension. We want the results of the change, but we just don't want to change. I think it takes something incredibly big. Something bigger than ourselves, maybe something even bigger than our spouse or our best friend to drive us to actually do the difficult thing of making real change. Well, Paul, Paul has been going through this change 
all throughout this chapter. In, in verse 1, in Ephesians chapter 4, you can look in, in uh, the Pew Bible at page 829, if you'd like to use that, or your copy of the Scriptures. I would invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and look again at this very meaningful chapter. In chapter 4 and verse 1, he introduced this idea. He says, listen, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We've looked at this verse many times because it is the verse that introduces everything that happens in the rest of the letter. He says, I urge you. I want you to make this change because I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. If you have been called out as a child of God, if you have accepted God's free gift of salvation, then you are called to something bigger than yourself. You're called to something better than yourself. And he says, I urge you. He's kind of begging. But in verse 17, same chapter, he he gets a little more intense. He says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And he goes on to describe that. He he, He gives the Ephesian church, he gives to me, and he gives to you, if you are a follower of Christ, a command. He says, I'm insisting that you don't live your life the way you used to before you knew Christ. And, and he describes it. He uses words like uh, corruptible and, and just unhealthy, unwholesome living. He says, don't do that. That's not what you are called to do. And, and last week we looked at a few things, and I'll go back and, and touch on those towards the end. But Paul is going to give us two last areas in this chapter, two final changes that he is just insisting you and I make. And and they're helpful. And if we're honest with ourselves, we want the results of making these changes, but we're not certain we want to do the work to make the change. So Paul's going to challenge us in two last areas, and then I'm going to wrap up with an overview of this chapter, and I believe giving you one big thing that I hope helps and drives you to make meaningful change in your life. So let's look at verse 29 in chapter 4. This is the fourth of five changes that Paul is suggesting. And and the way he talks about change, we did this a couple weeks ago, is he says, listen, you need to put off the things that are harmful, you need to change the way you think, and you need to put on the things that are helpful. So in verse 29, he says this. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. So here's what he wants us to put off. I want you to stop talking in an unwholesome way. Unwholesome meaning uh, another word for that is, is corruptive, you know, like rust corrupts, or like uh, another word would be rotten as something just deteriorates. He said, don't let things come out of your mouth that are unwholesome, that are corruptive, that are rotten. Don't let those things come out of your mouth. So that's, that's bad. That's not, it's not helpful. And he goes on to describe what would be helpful in this verse. Verse 29 again. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I want to describe a little bit what he's saying here. He's, he's being very, Paul's very descriptive. He was a very educated person, and he doesn't want there to be any loopholes in any of this. One, he says, your speech, what comes out of your mouth, should first off be
be helpful, meaning you are offering assistance. You are offering to help. Uh, There's a commercial out uh, recently, maybe in the last few months, where there's a bank robbery, and there's what you think is a security officer uh, standing in the lobby of the bank, and everyone hits the ground, and, and, you know, they're like, hey, we're holding up this bank, and and the security officer just kind of stands there. And this lady's on the floor, and she's like, hey, do something. Like, he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not a security officer. I'm a security monitor. And he kind of looks around, and he says, there's a bank robbery going on right now. And he just stands there, you know. It's like, thank you for those words. They were informative. They weren't helpful. Uh, No one needed you to say that at that moment. Our words are to be helpful. They are to be helpful. Uh, The second thing he talks about, he says, is building. Uh, Looking at verse 29 again, he says, but only what is helpful for building others up. Building others up. And it says, according to the need of the moment. So much is going on right here. Um, He's saying, you, your words need to be focused on their need. Their need. Some of the ways I was sitting here trying to sum this up, I think one, um, if we're to looking at wholesome talk, which would be the blank there, let wholesome talk come out of your mouth. Wholesome talk means that you speak the truth, not just speak your mind. All right? And when I say you me to include me in there. We're very, we're very good. It's very natural to speak our mind, but we need to speak the truth. Wholesome talk is speaking the truth, not just speaking your mind. Uh, second, we need to address the individual, not the team. Let me tell you what this means. Uh, in this second phrase again, where it talks about building, and it says it, it's focused upon the individual, not the team. Here's what we do sometimes. We have an issue. We have a problem. We have a frustration. Paul's saying, this is the kind of talk I want coming out of your mouth. I want it coming out to the right individual. Focus on the individual who needs the help, who needs the assistance, who you have the trouble with. Don't go and talk to your team. There are many passages in the New Testament that talk about this. We're very quick to go to our support system, our friends, people who are going to agree with us, and we tell them about the problem we have with this other person. Did you, do you know what they did? did? Can I talk to you right now? Do you realize? I mean, we, we have all these conversations. We get on the phone. We get on social media. We let everyone know what's going on with this person over here that we have a problem with. Guess who we don't talk to? We don't talk to that person. We don't go to that person. And I, I, I don't know if it's a comfort thing for you and for me, I don't know if it's a fear for you and for me, but Paul's being very descriptive. Don't let unwholesome talk. If you're going to have a conversation about someone who is not present, you need to have a clear definition of how that conversation is helping them. You say, well, I I feel better. I I can't find it in this letter that Paul wrote where it's important for you to feel better in the way you talk in what comes out of your mouth. He says, building others up according to the need of the moment. I think another 
way to look at wholesome talk versus unwholesome talk is this. It's wholesome talk looks for the best time to talk to someone. Sometimes wholesome talk creates the best time to talk to someone. Unwholesome talk usually goes one of two ways. Either we're really charged up emotionally and we let them have it. Or we never let them have it. We never go to them. That's unwholesome. Wholesome talk looks for the best moment, even creates the best moment in order to communicate to them. Unwholesome talk either gives it to them all at once, charged with emotion, or never addresses the issue. So lastly, in, in, in talking about the, the speech, he says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is, this is beautiful. He says, third thing, I want you to be helpful. I want you to uh, build them up. I also want you to be beneficial. Your speech should be beneficial. And what this means is they are better off for you having spoken to them. What you said to them benefited them. Maybe they didn't change. Maybe um, it doesn't matter what they did, but you spoke the truth to them. You spoke the truth in love, as Paul discussed earlier. They benefit from what you said. It wasn't to make you feel better. It was to benefit them. So in this first of these two changes, Paul is saying, listen, let wholesome speech come out of your mouth not unwholesome speech. Not things that tear down, but things that build up. Looking for a course for the best moments and looking for the right people to talk to. Um, in verse 31, oh, in verse, well, we'll come back to verse 30 here in just a minute. That, verse 30 is the reason for the change. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. And I'm going to look at that in a minute. But let's look at this last change in chapter 4. Looking at verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Again, it's very easy for us to say, I would love for others to make this change. But I, I, and I want to spend just a moment identifying to you what are these words. What is he talking about? One, he starts off, he says, put off bitterness. Bitterness is that inward change of one's personality. It's where we take anger and we let it turn inward and it just festers inside of us. And, and what we sacrifice is our personality. Anger becomes our personality. Bitterness becomes our personality. Then Paul lists the flip side of that. He says rage, put away rage. Rage is an outward expression of anger. It's where you just explode with anger. Bitterness, you're internalizing anger. Rage, you're exploding from the anger. And then Paul just gets to the root of it. He says, listen, put away anger. Put away anger. And of course, earlier, we re in, in just a few verses ago, we know that anger is not sin, but we are to deal with it quickly so that it doesn't grow into these other things. So he's saying, put away, put away anger. And then he talks about, he lists some expressions of it, and he says brawling, meaning a, a physical attack a physical assault upon someone. Put that away. Don't do that. Don't physically assault other people. And then he talks about slander, which is a verbal assault. Well, 
This, this happened a lot in, uh, at camp dealing with inner city kids. The bigger kids might have a tendency to use their size and uh, their, their physical ability to intimidate or even assault someone else. Um, now, one illustration is we're singing praise and worship songs in a, in a session, in an evening worship session, and I look down, I'm up, I'm up, up this high, and I look down and two kids are fist fighting on the front row. I thought, well, that's a first for a worship service. Got a fist fight going on right there. Fortunately, we had great counselors and they got right to it. But I was like, oh, I'll just keep singing. You know, that fist fight going on. That's brawling. But the kids that were too small to fight, they, they knew that wasn't going to work. They were some of the mouthiest kids we would get. It was like the smaller they were, the more they would mouth off. And they had the same thing going on in their hearts that, that I had going on in my heart, that all the other kids had going on in their heart. But they tended to slander. I can't physically attack you, but I'm going to verbally attack you. And I'm going to attack anybody. Because that's in me. So brawling is a physical assault. Slander is a verbal assault. And then Paul says, put away malice. Malice is an emotional assault. Malice is what sits inside of you and your emotions and allows you to create all the harmful ways you might do to to people. Similar to like Ed bringing me up here and saying, if you ever wanted to slap your pastor around, why is he saying stuff like that? He only say stuff like that. Malice, malice is that emotion where you imagine yourself. Your emotions are driving you to imagine yourself doing harmful things. Well, I'm going to say this to them. Well, if they ever get too close to me, I'm going to do this. That's malice. It's an emotional assault. And it comes out sometimes in just your body language. You, you've had those people in your life where uh, you walk into a room and they see you and they just kind of turn their back to the whole part of the room. It's malice living in their life. And Paul's saying, put away all of that mess. And when we, we see it in everyone else and we know it's corruptive. When someone treats us with any of these things, we know it's hurtful. So Paul says, put this away. Put this away. Look at verse, look at verse 32. Look at just, just this one thing, how beautiful our God is. What he takes away from us, he offers us eternal salvation, but not only that, he betters our quality of life. And he says, you don't need to be bitter and have rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. You don't need that anymore. Look what I'm giving you, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. So much better. So wholesome. And of course, these are the, the, the blanks there as well. Be kind, compassionate, and forgiving of each other. This is the replacement. He says, put off all these corruptive things. Put on these helpful, wonderful things. Being kind, compassionate, forgiving one another. So in these few verses, I think Paul has... Last week we looked at three changes. Today we looked at two changes. And I sometimes get the feeling like he, in, two, in just two or three verses, he has given me a lifetime of work. It's not, you can write that these changes need to take place and we can agree, but it is a process. Remember this church, we understand one of our core values is growth. And we understand that growth means that people grow in steps, so we take steps with them. None of us are transformed overnight. 
The Spirit has the ability to do that, but I think through the process, so oftentimes, we grow in our relationship with our Savior. And so as a church, we take steps with people. But change like this, putting off these kind of things that maybe have become a part of us and putting on what Christ wants us to have is huge and it's difficult and it's work and it's daily. And I think I'm back to what I shared with you at the beginning of this message is we need something big. We need something bigger than just ourselves to make this change. And throughout these verses, I want to share with you just a little bit. In chapter 4, there's quite, from verse 25 down to 32, there's a huge connection between how we interact with one another and how we interact with our Savior. Take a look at some of these things. In verse 25, we read this. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. That speaking of the body of Christ. We should treat one another in this way because we're members of one another. Take a look at verse 27. It says, And do not give the devil a foothold. In verse 26, he says, be very quick to deal with your anger because if you don't, you may give the devil a foothold. Paul, do you mean that if I remain angry at this person over here that Satan may have a foothold in my life? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But I thought they were separate. I thought I could treat this person this way but yet have this relationship with my Savior. Paul's saying, no, they're connected. The way you treat them affects how Satan may be able to influence you. Look at verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 29 is what we just talked about. It says, Let wholesome communication come out of your mouth, not unwholesome. Paul, are you saying that if I have unwholesome words come out of my mouth directed at this person or this person or this person, that it would grieve the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, what, what does grieve mean? Well, grieve means you've deeply saddened Him. The Spirit that lives inside of you. The Spirit that Christ gave you as a, as a gift, as a seal upon salvation. He says, now I'm giving you my Spirit to live inside of you. You mean I'm, He's sad because I treated this person that way? Yeah. More than sad. Deeply grieved. So my relationship with the Holy Spirit is directly connected to my relationship to these people as I speak to them. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Look at verse 32. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. You mean I'm supposed to, Paul, you're saying I'm supposed to forgive others not because they deserve it, but because you forgave me. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So this is the huge, and, and I want to try to bring this home for you and for me both. See, we have, it takes a little bit of work, all right, to, to follow Christ. We've got to carry it, you know. It's, it's, a, it's not like, it's just natural. Sin is natural. Uh, it seems like being mean is natural sometimes, but we have to work at that. But you know what? We also have to work at loving others. And, and so, every once in a while, we have these two things, and, and we're, we're going through life. We're doing well. We're doing well. It's not too hard to carry them, and uh, we, we can go anywhere. We can go anywhere, anywhere that's good. I mean, we just, we're doing things that God wants us to do, 
But then there's that person that just, man, they did this to me, and I just, I can't. Can't love them anymore. I am taking a break from loving them. And we think, all right, now I'm going to go, and I'm going to do this. I'm still following Christ, though. I'm going to go do this thing. And I'm going to go do this work for Him. And we get to this point where we feel like we're just not growing. I, I just can't move forward in my relationship with Christ the way I want to. What is this? They're connected. They're connected. And I think sometimes we sit here and we kind of, we go, oh yeah, and I got to, I got to, you know, the, the pastor says something or we're reminded we got to kind of make right with them and we pull this a little bit and we try to move forward. And sometimes, some of us, there are so many people that we've decided not to love. We're just dropping anchors. I'm not going to love them. I'm not going to love them. I'm tired of them. I've had enough of them. I refuse to love these people and their anchors. They keep us from moving in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And sad to say, and I've talked to people toward the end of their days, and they just have never grown because they were never able to go back and take care of this. See, if I go back... And whatever it is, it's uncomfortable. One, I had to go back a little bit. Two, I had to reconnect a little bit. I was like, okay, it's done. And, it, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not saying you become buddy-buddy with this person, but it's, it's dealt with. And you can say in your heart that you, you want God's best for them. That's what love is, wanting God's best for someone. Okay. And I can keep going. And I can do the things that I know my Savior wants me to do. We don't just drop this thing down. We carry both. We follow Christ and we love others. If you think this is ridiculous, I, I just want to share one last passage with you. Well, I'm going to have, read a benediction, but here's, here's Christ's words. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. You can turn to it if you like. I, I love it, the passage. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. I haven't word for word memorized it, but you can look at it. Jesus says something like this. He says, listen, if you are in line to worship God, and I want you to understand something, what Jesus is saying. Jesus, throughout his life, claimed to be God's son. He never pulled any punches with that. So when he says, when you're in line to worship God, he's saying, when you're in line to worship me, Jesus speaking, when you're in line to worship me, you have your sacrifice, you've been there all day, you're waiting for your turn, you get up to the front of the line, and you remember that you have a problem with someone else. Leave the sacrifice and go take care of that relationship with others. Jesus said that. It wasn't someone else saying it about you. Jesus was saying, it's more important to me for you to be right with your brother for you to be right with your fellow believer, for you to be right with that person that's close to you, it's more important for me that you be right with them than come and worship me. Those are his words. Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to follow me, you need to love others too. They go together. You don't, you don't get to just decide to follow me and not love others. It doesn't work. They're connected. They're linked. And, and those final those final blanks, this is, this is what I'm saying. Your ability to follow Christ, your ability to follow Christ is limited. It's limited by your ability to love others. This is what Paul's saying. 
And I think the way we make meaningful change is to really understand what's at stake. It's not just my relationship to this person. And I understand, listen, I'm not justifying. You notice I've not talked about whoever this person is or whoever this group is that you may have an issue with. I'm not talking about them. Hey, you could come and talk to me about them. And in fact, and I would invite you to, I would value that time with you. And I'm sure there's a, they're a mess. I'm sure you have all kinds of great reasons to not love them, to not speak wholesome to them, to not be kind and compassionate and forgiving of them. Sure, as, as long as you look at them, I'm sure I would agree with you. But as soon as we look to our Savior, as soon as we look to our salvation, as soon as we read and think about the words that say, forgive them because I forgave you, and we realize it has nothing to do with them, it has everything to do with our desire to follow Christ, we can do this. We can make these changes. As a church, again, just before I pray for you, what I said to you last week is true about these changes as well, is simply this. People are not influenced by your title. They're influenced by your character. And the changes that Paul is talking about, whether it be uh, falsehood, whether it be wholesome talk, whether it be uh, putting off anger and, and being kind to one another, whatever, it is, whatever that change is that you, the Spirit has talked to you last week, the Spirit has talked to you about this morning, whatever that change is, it's going to better your character and allow you to influence those you care about because your title will not. Your title will not influence them. Your character will influence them. Let me give you a moment to just speak to your Savior about what we've talked about and decide what you want to do with this. I would invite you to name the change that needs to take place in your own life. And if you are really serious, if you really want to see change, you need to share it with someone. You need to invite someone in to the process. Let someone take the steps with you. Father in heaven, Lord, I have so much I need to change in my life. I need to pursue you, Lord. Lord, help me each and every day to focus upon you and not what others may do or say. Lord, for everyone here that is your follower, Lord, for everyone here who calls you their Savior, I pray that you would give them wisdom to know what it is in their life that they need to change. Give them just one thing, Lord. And Lord, I pray also that you would give them courage to move forward, to invite someone into their life that could help them in that process of change. God, we love and thank you for all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. In closing, I just want to read a blessing over you. A benediction. It's from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. It reads this. It says, Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.